try this again. Good morning. It is good to see everyone. I hope you all are well. Um, there's something about waking up, coming outside, and being cold. I was like, what, what is this sensation? I'm, I'm not sweating. I, I need a jacket. This is amazing. I love it. Um, now, you may have grown up in Kansas and going, what's, what's your problem? Uh, I think we, it's been about 18 years since we had a proper winter. Uh, so I'm excited. This is, this is good for us. Um, I love it. I love it. Seasons. Yeah, I heard there's two other seasons that I've never had an opportunity to experience. Um, but it is good to be here. If you're, if you're visiting with us, welcome to the Wichita Church of Christ. Uh, if you're like, who's the short guy with the mustache? My name is Jeff. My beautiful wife, Amanda, we are, we're actually the new lead evangelist and women's ministry leader here. So some people, some have hugged us, some have prayed for us. I'm not sure what that means, um, but it is amazing to be here. If you got a Bible, turn over to John chapter one. And if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been doing a series on reflections. I know. And, and if you, last Sunday... Uh, we started kind of this, this multi-part look at, uh, first time I've ever done it, but a, but a, couple, a couple of looks at, G, at Judas, of all, of all people. And so just the quick recap from last week, I don't know if you remember, we talked about, there's just so many questions that looking at Judas, he asks us and he makes us ask ourselves. And I think, you know, we, we talked about the idea that, man, if, if you could have lunch or if you could have coffee or even if Jesus was the one leading the church for the last several years, wouldn't everything be different? Wouldn't it be perfect? Wouldn't you never forget and never, never be the same? You'd be awesome. You'd wake up every morning ready and excited, right? And the scary answer to that is maybe. Because we look at Judas and we see actually walking with him for years might not necessarily change you forever. And if that can happen to one of the 12, certainly we all can learn lessons and move forward with that too. We talked about the relationship with the message. If you remember that, in Bethsaida and Chorazin and other cities when Jesus sent the 12 and then the 72 out to preach, and then he told the, 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 villages, the villages and those villagers that, that those that didn't repent from the message being preached would be worse than like, Man, then old, you know, Tyre and Sidon and Sodom and Gomorrah, it's like it'd be worse for them. And some of those villages, their preacher was Judas. And that for us, we got to we make sure that it isn't about the messenger, but it's about the message. And that no man or woman or even the people that would share with us, they're not the reason. And that, that won't be our get out of judgment free card. That I got to have some, I got to make this personal. But also that if, Ju if Jesus could use Judas to help villages and in fact the whole world change certainly he can use you and me and he's not done working and you're like man I feel like Judas today well good he can use you uh, I mean be honest amen there's probably a good there's another good lesson there but we're going to kind of we're going to continue on Amanda said we should recap because it was it was a big one I've been having some of this amazing bible study of all things about Judas and you're like wow that's a really encouraging quiet time bro uh it actually kind of has been and I don't know if you're like me. I was, I'm an only child. I know we've got a few of them in the house. Um, but my kids, uh, we've got three. And so, like, the younger, I love Trey. Trey's great. He's got two older sisters. And he'll, he's learned, like, he'll kind of watch what they do. 
And if it, it and if it garners a little bit of attention in a negative way, like if there's punishment from mom and dad, he's like, ooh, don't do that. And then if there's good things, he's like, hmm, I want to learn from that. And I think there's a, there's a cool learning here. And I think if you're like me, I, I, I would prefer to like watch someone else make a mistake, get the consequences, and then learn from their mistake. I don't, anybody else like that? I'm like, I'd prefer you to pay the bill for the wisdom, and I'll just take the gift. Thank you very much. And we get a chance to do that with Judas. And so as we continue along today, we're really going to talk about kind of not just we talked about relationships last week and relationship with the message, relationship with money. We're going to talk a little bit about what's our response to two big things. And in John chapter 1, we all together, family. We all together. And in, in, in John chapter 1 and verse 14, it's saying this actually about Jesus. But John writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And if you're a Bible scholar, you know actually that, that word actually is tabernacled. And, he's, and, and so John is reaching all the way back into the Old Testament and the tabernacle and this, and this glorious tent that was built where you could actually encounter the very presence of God would be on earth. And if you guys, if you go back and you study Exodus and you look at the tabernacle, he's saying that the word of God, that Jesus, the living word, came and tabernacled among us. He, he was a tent where literally the spirit of God would go among his people. That's what he did. Amazing. But then he says, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth. And if you're like me, how many of us, how many of us are legalists by nature? Like we, we like truth, like judgment. How many of us are like grace, baby? How many of us are little, you know, you, you'd be great. Okay, so a couple of us. And so what's funny of this is that truth and judgment, I know what to do with that. That makes sense to me. Grace doesn't make sense. I'm like, what do I do with that? And Jesus was full of them both. And if you can imagine that, that Judas, among, as well as the apostles, they spent years walking with Jesus, witnessing, seeing this one and only from the Father, Jesus in all of his glory, full of grace and mercy, and in years of walking with that and seeing that. What was Judas's response to that? Grace, that truth. And I think his response to that can teach us a lot. We're just going to talk, there's two points. We're going to talk about what's our response to truth and what's our response to grace. That makes sense? We all together on that? First point, what's my response to truth? Truth is powerful, isn't it? And it's always comfortable, right? I remember dating Amanda, and I, I think, I don't know where we went. Maybe it was Panera or something. She had a salad. And she had, like, a whole, like, basil leaf, you know? And what did I do as a good boyfriend? I said nothing. And all the men go, well, duh. And all the women are like, no, come on. I thought you loved this woman, right? And I remember later, and she found it in the bathroom. And I was held accountable. Why didn't you tell me? And I'm like, I didn't eat the salad. I didn't make your teeth. Why am I the one? I've got to say something, right? And I remember that of going, no, you, you got to say the truth. You got to say it. And it's not comfortable. 
But it's a part of the game, isn't it? Not? I mean, it's and all the women are like, well, yeah, come on. Well, after 12 years of marriage, I've, I'm better now. I've gotten better. I've learned. The truth is powerful. It can change you. Maybe. Right? And I think about truth, and I, I think, and in getting perspective about truth is really interesting. And I remember, I was thinking about this as I was writing the story. It's Halloween time. Does anybody like Halloween? Okay, like six of us. Some of us are like, Halloween's from the devil. There's a whole other Bible study there. We can study that at a different time. Like Harry Potter or whatever. Okay, there's, there's, that's not what Galatians 5 is talking about when it talks about witchcraft. Come to Seattle with me, and I'll show you what they're talking about. <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. But that being aside, I kind of like this time. There's some weird stuff about Halloween, right? Some people are a little too into it. But the one thing I love is that there's also, you get scary movies, you get, you know, all these kinds of things. I'm not a big, like, scary movie, gory type fan, but I like, like, suspenseful and even, like, kind of psychological and even, like, like spiritual thrillers, especially when you start touching on, like, devils and, like, you know, like, exorcist, you're like, dude, you're a little too close to the truth, man. Like, it freaks me out. Because there's, there's something there. And I remember I was thinking about the truth and trying to get perspective and get it. One of our friends, Kelsey and Jelaine Hahn, they were, they were in Texas forever. They have a couple of kiddos. They're both Christians. They do great now. But in their teen years, uh, their daughter was not a Christian, very not a Christian. And so, <laughs> so Kelsey, this is so Kelsey, if you know him, he would watch incredibly scary movies with his daughter. To try, like, exorcist, like, really scary, like, pseudo, like, spiritual, like, other side stuff to try to get her to understand and get a little bit of fear and get a little perspective. And I was like, huh, I'll have to keep that in my back pocket. I, 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 I don't know if that works, but it kind of worked for her, actually, and helped her. And, and I was like, huh, that's an interesting way. And when you start seeing the truth of what's on the other side, you start seeing the truth of judgment, seeing the truth of the power of God and the power of Satan. It's fascinating. I also remember seeing a scary movie when I was a kid. Anybody ever seen those Pet Cemetery movies? you got to love Stephen King. I was like seven, eight, and I went to the drive-in movie theaters with my dad. I have no idea what my dad was thinking. We saw Pet Cemetery 2. And I remember like crawling into his armpit. I was just so scared. I was freaking out. And I was, I was just, I was, I, I'm like, I'm never getting a pet again, right? I'm never, I don't want a pet. And I remember my dad, we had this conversation and nothing that my dad said to encourage me helped me. Until he goes, okay, here's the truth of it, son. I was like, what's up, dad? He's like, if that was real, wouldn't they have killed the cameraman? And I was, I'm a, I was a pretty cheeky little kid. I was a, kind of a nerd, and I went, that's a good point. <laughs> and from then on, never got bugged by the scary movies. And there's sometimes when just, for me, that like flipped a switch, and I went, yep. Now, you can get freaked out about the story or the concept or get startled, but no movie. Now, anytime I'm watching a movie, and I'm like, I, I get what that is. That's a movie. And if it was real or whatever, or whatever random dog or Cujo or whatever scary movie gets you, you're like, man, if, if the cameraman really caught it, man, he'd be dead or she'd be dead. There's no outrunning, you know, a zombie cat or whatever. <laughs> but that nugget of truth, it changed everything for me. 
And I think about what truth can do. And check this out and, and, and turn with me over to Matthew chapter 26. And about how you respond to truth, if at all, matters a great deal. And I think Judas actually shows us this. And in, in, we're kind of, in many ways, kind of beginning with at the end. And what we're, we're picking it up here in Matthew chapter 26 or Mark 14. It's almost identical. Um, and you get a little bit of this in Luke, some of this in John. But what happens is the entire betrayal of Judas. Actually, him walking away begins with this really powerful and amazing story. The context of it is fascinating. And we're going to read that a little bit to kind of get an idea of what's going on. We all there in Matthew chapter 26. Let's pick it up in verse 6 here. And let's read together. And maybe you remember this story. And it says, When Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. And aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. And I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And then it says in verse 14, then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand, you, hand him over to you? So they, hand, they counted out 30 silver coins. And Matthew and Mark spare the reputation of Judas. John doesn't do so. Turn with me over to John chapter 12. There's a little bit more going on in this story that helps us to see and read into it. And in John chapter 12, John's recounting a bit of this, but in verse 4, he, he kind of zooms in and gives us a little bit more clarity about what, who, who are these some of the disciples rebuking this girl. And in, in verse 4, in John chapter 12, it says, but one of the, his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And what's wild to me is, we, is what we see right before Judas is actually walking out and makes a decision. The entire, this is, you can imagine, there's this beautiful scene. And this is incredibly powerful moment. And this woman is pouring this incredibly expensive bottle of perfume worth a year's wages. And if you know a little bit of the backstory that that actually, that perfume, this woman was almost certainly a prostitute. And in a, in a season of our human history that did not smell particularly good, this incredibly long-lasting and well, and just incredibly beautiful scented perfume would help you professionally if you're if you're a prostitute if you follow all that and there's this beautiful picture of actually the honoring of Jesus is not just simply with the money it's actually what we're seeing is that this marker this 
this, this tool of this old sinful life is being brought before Jesus, broken, honoring him, preparing him for burial. I mean, there's these layers of what they're, wit- they're witnessing. It's just, it's beautiful. You're seeing repentance and how much repentance can cost you and how she is beautifully putting it before God. And God doesn't look at that as rags. He sees that as an honor, that it's preparing him for the most important human sacrifice that's ever been done in the history of mankind. And there, could you imagine being in the room? You ever study the Bible with someone and, and, and watch them as they made the decision of repenting and they got it and, the, and, 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 the, and the, the truth of God and the love of God lands in their heart and it's just, you're watching them transform in front of you? It's hard to ignore. And what we see here with Judas is that, what's Judas' response? What a waste. A waste? And he's watching this happen, but he rebukes this woman, harshly is what it says. And I can't help but to think about another time when Jesus rebukes the rebuker. I always think of Peter, right? Get behind me, saying that infamous scene, right, where Peter grabs Jesus. Hey, let me pull you aside here, Jesus. You, no, you can't go to, go to the cross, right? It's so funny to me. And he rebukes him. Get behind me, Satan. You remember that moment? And this moment is one where you have this beautiful repentance and honoring of Jesus, and he's rebuking her for the, the waste and the money, and, the, and, and it's this, this kind of charade, and it's about the money, and it's about his greed, and there's so much going on behind the scenes. And what does Jesus do? Leave her alone. In fact, every time the gospel's preached, every time, this woman's memory for all eternity is going to be seen. That's how serious this is. He gets rebuked in front of the group. And what does he do? He immediately after this correction goes and finds the chief priests and asks how he can betray Jesus. And it makes me wonder and ask myself, and I think ask all of us, have you ever done something that you regret because you were emotional? Have you ever done something that you regret because you were embarrassed or you were mistreated or you were scared or afraid or you felt exposed? Have you ever reacted in a way when you looked back and go, I can't believe I reacted. I can't believe I did that. You ever feel that? I know I have. And in these moments, they're so defining about when the truth is out, when it's real, when we're confronted with it, when we get the opportunity to see it, And the light bulb can switch on and we can change or we can run. It's so defining what we do with truth. And I'm going to actually ask Amanda. Amanda wanted to share here a story, uh, a little bit about this thought. Good morning. So my name's Amanda. But one day I got a phone call from uh, my discipler, mentor, trainer, Amber Sheet. She called me and said, hey, Amanda, what, what are you doing today? I was like, you know, I have this, that, and the other. And she's like, well, why don't you and Jeff just come on over this afternoon? And I was like, oh, okay. I wonder if we're going to discuss with Jeff today. Oh, my. <laughs> didn't occur to me that she was, she was calling me. It's fine. It didn't, didn't click, right? And so we went to their house, sat down, and had this wonderful conversation about my character. And I got rebuked. I got rebuked for being arrogant, for being without compassion and ungrateful. I was like, of all of them, I was like, ungrateful. 
that's just wrong. <laughs> like, I didn't say that. I was like thinking this, like, I'm grateful. Like, I'm the most grateful person in the world. Like, I don't understand why this was said today. Like, I, my family, I'm like a part of the lineage of the, the history of the most grateful people in the world. We know how to be hospitable. We know how to say thank you. Like, I, I was, my whole life, I was like, this, there must be some misunderstanding. Like, this one. <laughs> And in my heart, I also felt like, wow, if, if they're really wrong about this, you know, they really could be wrong about the other two things that we're just not even going to focus on right now. And I just remember, I was, like, really upset. I was hurt. I felt so wronged. I was like, a lack of gratitude. Like, my heavens, right? I'm from Texas. It's like, my word. And I was like, I was just, I was just sitting there just, like, just angered to the core. And clearly, I was, I was definitely showing signs of defense. Someone saying Brigitte was done. Mike, Mike took us, took us, uh, stepped in and, and had a couple words. And he read, he, to me, he read Matthew 12, 34. He said, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Because I was like, I, I had said, you know, I, I was grateful. I, I do have gratitude. And he goes, if you didn't say it, then it's not there. I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, this is my character. I was like, what? I'm so grateful. Well, what if I just forgot? Like, what on this random day, you know, when this thing happened, what? And I just didn't say thank you. What if? What if I did say it and you just missed it? What if it's you and and, and not me? And I just remember I was, I was so upset. I was fuming, and we left, and we were in the car, and I was like. I can't believe she said that and how anyone would say that of me and there must be a misunderstanding. I was so defensive and honestly, I was so angry. I was just like, oh, they're just wrong and like, how could you say no one's, if I'm not compassionate, then I can't even be a disciple. I can't even love Jesus. Like if I have no love, like that's just wrong. That doesn't even make sense. And I was so upset. I was so upset. And Jeff was like, well, let's go to lunch. Let's go get some barbecue. I was like, that sounds great. You know, he was trying. (laughs) He was trying and we were on our way to the barbecue and I just was like spitting fire. I was like angered by this so much. I felt like this was so wrong. And I remember Jeff just lovingly looked at me and and he said to me, how about we just start with assuming that everything she said was right? I was like, oh. (laughs) I was like, oh, so you're with them. Oh, (laughs) I was like, oh, we're done. I, I probably to this day, that was the most uncomfortable lunch experience with my husband. You know, and we, you know, we finished lunch and I just was like, you know, just, just, just through my teeth speaking and it was so uncomfortable. And I got back in the car and I did the most mature thing and just, you know, gave him the silent treatment and looked out my window. I was like, I'm creating a wall. I was like, I, you are not with me. I'm not okay with this. And I remember, you know, we pulled up. I'm the first one out of the car. I'm the first one in the door. And I'm just, like, stomping upstairs. And I go up to our office. And I just open my Bible. And I was like, I'm going to go study my Bible, you know, and be spiritual. Because you guys don't think I'm spiritual or whatever. And I remember opening my Bible, setting out gratitude. And I was like, oh, I'm going to show you some scriptures that support my feelings. (laughs) And I remember opening the word. And, like, the scales just were slowly falling off. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I am completely wrong, (laughs) like so wrong. And I just remember, like, you know that feeling when you just feel so strong about just being right and you're just so unbelievably just wrong or just in sin in a way that you just didn't see, Um, especially because being grateful was like really a core value in my upbringing. Like I'm from Texas, like that's like unacceptable. That was like a, sh- that was really shameful. It's funny, the arrogance. I'm like, okay, okay, yeah, you know, the lack of compassion. I'm like, I know, I always need to grow in that. But like, lack of gratitude, it really hit a chord 
And I was like, that just stems so many negative thoughts. But I was so grateful for this conversation. It made me, th and it made me think of, of, of some questions I would like for you to consider today is, how do you respond to truth? I'm so grateful for this talk. Because again, you can be so convinced you're right and just be completely wrong. And sometimes you won't, you won't be able to always discover that yourself, unfortunately. Amen for friends. And with that, who are your friends? Do you have friends that will speak this level of truth to you? I'm so grateful for Mike. I'm so grateful for Ambergy. I'm grateful for the ambush. I needed it. Sometimes that's really the only way to get my intention. Don't use that against me. Be gentle, but okay, now you know. But I'm also really grateful that Jeff didn't back down. He stood firm and was righteous and continued to love me by calling me higher. That day, he did what was right. Now it was easy, and I'm so grateful. I'm a different person because of it, and honestly, just husbands, sometimes we really are the hardest people to speak truth to. We really are, and I just want to encourage you not to give up because it really would have been my shame if I wouldn't have listened. And I think that's just for anyone. Is it not just the hardest to speak truth to people that just you love the most? Is that not our moms, our sisters, siblings, our kids, our best friends that we don't, you know, relationships that we have that fear of losing if we were to speak truth to them? But that rebuke changed me for forever. And I learned that you can act grateful. Sometimes you can even say, you know, the grateful words, but it's completely different than being a person who is just full of gratitude and being a grateful person. You know, I had to make the decision, would I listen to truth? Would I let that truth <clears throat> from others save my soul? Would it matter, what would matter more to me, God's truth or my pursuit of like keeping this false characteristic about myself? You know, allowing people in and allowing that truth to make an impact made a difference. You know, and the irony is I was really angry about just something I didn't actually have. You know, knowing the truth actually allowed me the opportunity to really become a grateful person that's full of gratitude. I think she's great. Yeah. Thank you. Amen. That was an uncomfortable barbecue moment. That's probably true. And I, it's hard not to see the similarities between Judas and Peter, huh? How similar they were in the betrayal, but how different the outcome was. Because after this hard rebuke to Peter, hey, get behind me, Satan, he doesn't run. He stays in there keeps listening and you turn the page and he's on the mountain of transfiguration with James and John seeing what no other human has ever seen but when Judas gets one tough talk you turn the page and he's, he's running for the hills and I don't know about you I, I want to encourage you today I, I don't know I think this is a great question of like how do you respond when you, when you, when you get truth when you hear it have you set up the high wall so that no one can really know and no one can really say anything? Have you actually strategically made it where, no, no, I mean, you don't even know enough about me to say it, let it you know, so I can discredit any, even the input before it begins. 
And if someone has the gall and the audacity to say, hey, can I tell you something? I mean, do you go, absolutely. I, I, can, I remember one of my best friends in the faith and was wrestling with kind of impurity and pornography and was honest and just getting gut level honest. said, man, what do you think? And my, my parenting and my, my, and my, my marriage and what do you think? And, 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 I, and I was like, oh, and I remember wrestling and I just, I, I was like, here's what I'm thinking. And, and in my gut, it was just so hard to say something. And I remember his face going, bro, thank you. Thank you. I know that had to be hard to say. Man, I want to think about that. I'm so grateful. I need you talking to me. And in my mind, it was this picture. And everything about that moment, I don't remember the sin. I, I watched, but I saw this picture of that's how you, that's how you, that's, how, that's humility, man. That's, that's someone who's hungry for God's truth. They want, they want it. It wasn't about me. It was about them just wanting God to work in them. And I, and I want to ask you this morning, are, are you feeling like, man, I, I want the truth. I want God to work. I, I want to hear his voice. And, and I, and not everyone's going to say it perfectly, but Judas had the perfect person and he still didn't want to listen. We got to want it. Yeah. We got to want it. And we got to even be willing to not just hear it, but actually be grateful for it. That's a challenge, isn't it? I think both Judas and Peter betrayed Jesus. And it was the worst kind of failure of nerve. But how they respond to truth, man, it made all the difference, didn't it? But I also think how they responded to grace was so different, too. And I think, and turn with me over to John chapter 13, and one chapter, and we're going we're gonna to talk about what's, so what's my response to grace? Man, it, I've, been a, I've been a Christian now for about 21 years, and 22 years now. I have to do the math. No, 21, sorry. It's 21. I was like, okay. I can, I can, I, I get the real communion wine now. I finally, I finally breached in there. I can, I'm an adult now, I guess, as a disciple of Jesus. And, I, and the longer I'm trying to follow Jesus, the more I look throughout the Gospels and I'm like, man, Jesus is so graceful. <laughs> and sometimes I can kind of read, you know, that's like, oh, man, the apostles. Like, they were just perfect. They were awesome. They're like heroes in the faith. And then you start reading and you're like, dude, these guys are knuckleheads. I mean, these guys are real dudes. Like, these are young men trying to follow Jesus. And they, they did turn the world upside down. But they weren't perfect. And you see Jesus and his grace that is just, it, it's overflowing. But there's also parts that because of being American that you might miss as well because there's some cultural gaps. And read with me here in John chapter 13. We're going to read this amazing picture of now after Judas is gone and he's had the conversation with the chief priest. They've made him the offer for silver. And they're, they're back together. Now they're having Passover. Jesus has washed their feet. And now they're about to sit down and have this, this Passover meal. And in, verse, in, in John chapter 13 and verse 18, we pick it up. And they're having this, what I would imagine would be a un- very uncomfortable conversation. And it says in verse 18, this is Jesus beginning. He says, I'm not referring to all of you. I, I know those I have chosen. And so, sorry, we're, we're in the middle of this, this conversation, this question about who's going to betray him. That's where we're picking it up. Sorry. So 
And, and so as he's talking about this, he's, he's washed their feet and he's, he's cleansed them. And so we, as we pick it up in verse 18, he says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He, oh goodness sakes. Nope, sorry. I, I, we'll keep going here. Sorry. I, I, and it says, I'm telling you, uh, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Verse 19. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. And his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John referring to himself in a very casual, humble way, (laughs) was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Have you noticed, they're sitting at the table, and there's this conversation about who's going to betray him, and no one's got a clue. And he's like, what are you talking? It's very uncomfortable, third-party, awkward, kind of, it sounds like an 80s Clue movie or something. It's like a murder mystery. Which one is it? It was the Judas with the wrench in the library. I mean, no one knows, right? And then in verse 25, Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus had said this to him. This is such an interesting picture. And I've had some uncomfortable meals with my family. <laughs> I got a pretty dysfunctional family. Uh, between, you know, thro- you know, Thanksgiving with thrown food, you gotta love a you gotta love a food fight with full grown adults. Uh, <laughs> arguing, what do you mean? Boom, mashed potatoes or whatever. Uh, this has got to take the cake to me. I mean, they're sitting there having a meal and he's trying, he's troubled, and Jesus is like, guys, when of you guys, when of you are gonna betray me? And what Jesus is explaining is he says that it's to fulfill the scripture in, in Psalm 41. It's actually when David's talking about, man, the one that's going to betray me is the one that shared the, the bread with me or the bowl. And if you've ever, if you're like us, you like really good bread, you know, but you have like oil with the spices in it, you know. In this case, it might have a little wine in it. You know, that's good. Unleavened bread. I, I like that. Any, I don't know if anybody else likes that. We love that. We ate a lot in Brazil. It's like, oh, that's awesome. And there's kind of this layered thing that's happening in front of these guys. And that they ask, I mean, who's the betrayer? And Jesus the one says, it's the one that I'm going to share the bowl with. And as a 21st century American, the significance isn't clear. To a first century Jew, it's, it's jumping off the page. One, Psalm 41 being fulfilled is one aspect of it. But there's this other side that you don't eat with your enemies. 
You eat with your family. You eat with your friends. You eat with your allies. You eat with people you trust. You share food and you eat out of the same bowl. Why? Because there's this aspect of not only are we sharing fellowship, that we're there's trust. I mean, man, I mean, they have like cupbearers and stuff trying to protect poison food. And that, I mean, this is a wild era. But and Jesus isn't just going. It's not just the one that has shared the bowl with me. That's been a friend. That's that's been close to me. That's been an ally. No, no, no. It's the one that I'm sharing the bowl with right now. He's already gone and made the deal with the chief priest. He's already gone and had the conversation. He's already gone and he's taken the offer of the 30 silver coins. He's already sold Jesus out and Jesus is still going, you're not my enemy, there's still a chance here. I'm still willing not just to wipe the sin away, not just to give you a clean slate. And you know what, we'll dismiss you from apostleship, don't worry. No, 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 he's going, you've still got a place here with me to be a friend to be a family they would call this the sop and I look at Jesus and he doesn't just see the betrayal coming and the prophecy being fulfilled and he's still got the dirty water on his cloak from washing his feet And he's not just giving some time and he's not just washing his feet. He's trying to wash his soul and he's giving a piece. He's going, you, there's still a place here. You don't, it's not too late. I know you've made the deal. I know you've had the talk. I know you've taken the money. No, it, you don't have to be this way. And I just look at Jesus and I'm like, Sometimes if you're me, I picture Jesus like he's always doing this happily. He's like, hey, bro, forgiven. Ching. Like, oh, betrayed me, sold me out for 30 silver coins. Oh, don't worry about it. Bro. Like, he's the ultra nice guy. And I go, I don't think so. Because Jesus, yes, he's God, but he is fully human, fully wrestling with the emotions you and me do. You ever been betrayed and stabbed in the back by a friend? Ugh, that, that anger and the fury and the hurt, and the, it just it can knock the wind out of you. And I think Jesus felt all those emotions. And he's still going, you've got a, space, you've got a place here. It's not just getting your sins wiped away. There's friendship and there's an opportunity. It doesn't have to be how the story ends for you. It's not, your fate isn't sealed. That's our Lord. That's Jesus. And that same grace and that same opportunity, it's for you and me right now. And you go, Jeff, I've walked away. Do you know, do you, do you know what I've done to Jesus? And not only did I do it to him, that I became a disciple, I walked away, and I've sinned, and I know what I've done. How could I possibly come back? And I think that's what this moment is about. Going, It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter how dark the secrets. It doesn't matter how bad you think it's been. I think Jesus is going, no, you've got a place here. You're a part of the family. You can, your story is not done. Come back. Be here. And to me, that is incredibly powerful because it's showing us who Jesus is. He's not just going to the cross to wipe away our sins. He's, he's rewriting our story. He's giving us a place in his ministry. He's giving us a place in his family. What a beautiful picture of Jesus. He's more than just patient. He's more than just merciful. It's more than just forgiveness. It's grace. And I can't help as I think about this point to think about my mom. 
And some of you guys, you know, I think I've shared a little bit about when I was a young dude, three, I was, I guess I was two or three years old. Literally, I was a little guy. My mom got, and in the 80s, got really wrapped up in drugs. Completely enslaved. To the point where, I mean, my, I grew up really without my mom. She disappeared, left my dad, the whole thing. They split when I was, like I said, I don't remember. must have been two or three years old. So I grew up as an only child of the single dad. He grew up without his dad. So we've, we've, got, we've got quite the uh, dysfunction in our family. Um, but my dad was kind of made the decision of like, hey, you've probably seen those, those kind of visual illustrations of a dad kind of standing with all the impact of the trauma and the abuse, trying to protect the next generation and restart, so to speak. That was my dad's ambition. That's what he tried to do to the best of his ability. He did a great job. But the physical and sexual and chemical abuse that came generations down my family hit again as my mom left. And growing up without a mom, man, it messes with you. Messes with you. Praise God I became a disciple and had kind of moms in the faith that helped me. I mean, I, was, I remember when I just became a Christian. You, as many of you guys may know Scott and Lynn Green. They were leading Seattle, the Seattle church at that point. I remember hanging out with the Greens, and I asked Scott, I go, Scott, I know this is a weird request. Uh, can I have coffee with, like, Lynn, your wife, like, once a month? I mean, I don't have a mom. I'm like, how, how do you date women? Like, what do you do? I know how to be sinful and selfish and a mess. I don't know how to do this. And he, I can only imagine, now as a married man, I'm, I, I can only imagine Scott's like, oh, this guy is a mess. Sure, yeah. If a coffee, if a coffee can cure that, have, have many. Yeah, sure. Uh, but he did, and they opened their homes, and it was amazing. But I, 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 I needed to learn that. I, I didn't know. But I was about, uh, right before I became a Christian, my mom got sober. It the end of my, you know, I think it was my junior, senior year of high school. We started having conversations, and I remember the conversation before I was a disciple and saying that that the windows closed to be mom but maybe we can be friends and she said I'll take that so we started spending time together and building a relationship again and I became a Christian and I remember wrestling with these scriptures on forgiveness how you forgive you will be forgiven and I'm like I'm not sure I I want Jesus to say to me on judgment day the things I've said to my mom or feel about me the way I still feel about her I got to wrestle with this and I did we've had an amazing amazing relationship God has completely reconciled that my mom I'm not a Christian but I was just up spending time with her and my dad actually they're still separated I was up in Seattle and we got a chance to have lunch and she's like grandma of the year now she loves her grandbabies and I, and we, we were, when we came down for furlough every, you know, when we were in Brazil, we'd come up and we'd be in San Antonio. My mom would come down for three, four, five days. And she's a, just had a hip replacement. I remember she just had that. She was out like bef- right before she had that surgery. It was like bone on bone on her hip, incredible amounts of pain. She comes down for three days and she's just out in the backyard, like in the dirt, digging around with Trey and the girls and out in the backyard. She just can't get enough of her time with her grandbabies. And I'm like, hi, mom, how are you? Hey, she's like, all right, I'll be in the backyard with the grandbabies. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm chopped liver now, baby. The grand, grandbabies are there. They're like, son, I'll see you later. Like, she loves it. And there's this, there's this opportunity to kind of be a grandma in the way that she wasn't able to be mom. And I remember the conversation, when, you know, about forgiveness and about with my mom and 
And I think th- those are important. The forgiveness and the, and, the, and, the, and the kind of the washing the way the past, that's massively important. But I think sometimes we forget that what we get in Jesus and what we get from one another is way more than just forgiveness. And we can mistake that, that he's full of mercy and grace, and those are a little different. Mercy is being spared something you deserve. Grace is being given a gift you don't ever earn. So do we get the mercy of the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus? Absolutely. But it's more than that. It's not just like, oh, all that stuff in the past. Yeah, sure, Mike, we'll, we'll, we'll erase the debts, but just show up on and you'll barely skate into heaven. No, 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 that's not what Jesus is saying. He's going, no, the full riches of heaven and it's this relationship, this ministry, my mom, the chapter that's being written now because of this grace. I mean, she, I'm sure she's happy to be forgiven by her son. Don't get me wrong. But there's relationships and memories in a whole new chapter because of the grace that's been opened up to her. And, her, and if, you ask my, if you ask Millie or Junie and Trey, she couldn't ima- they couldn't imagine a grandma with the past that she has. They, could, she couldn't, they couldn't imagine it. It's a totally new future. It's a totally new story. And this morning, friends, that same grace is at work here. Is it at work in your life? Is that how, the, is that how it feels to be with Jesus? Is there, st- is there a dread? Or is the freedom of grace, is it in your life? Because I'll also let you in on a secret. Is that this grace, to accept it, I don't know who said it was easy, but I think they were lying to us. Because taking this grace requires an enormous amount of courage and honesty and vulnerability. And if you know this moment of Jesus offers us the bread, he's sharing the bowl. Someone's, there's an honest opportunity. There's a time to be vulnerable. We got to kind of face ourselves to take that grace, don't we? Because only imperfect people need grace and mercy. But sometimes we can want to play like we're perfect and kind of pretend. Because sometimes that pretending is easier than facing the truth. And I want to encourage you this morning. How do you respond to this grace? Don't pretend. Don't run. Don't be afraid. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie that Judas believed. That it was all done, that the chapter was written, the fate is sealed, the concrete's hardened. I don't have a place or don't believe that. Don't believe that, no, no, there is no hope. If I, I don't take my own life. There's nothing else to live for. Don't believe that lie. That there is a story that's waiting to be written on the other side of this grace for you, and not just for you, but for others as well. That there's, that there's people that are looking to watch God's grace be at work, and you're meant to be that answered prayer. And I think Jesus is trying to act like that as well. And I look at Judas, and I can't think about Acts chapter 1 when all the apostles together are picking a replacement for Judas. And the thing that stood with me as I was thinking about this is that Jesus has ascended. He's shown himself for 40 days. He even went to the Garden of Gethsemane without his friend Judas. He didn't bring someone up from the JV squad to go to the Garden of Gethsemane with him. He left the door open. The slot remains empty all the way into Acts 1. And I just, I wonder, is that, is that Jesus leaving the door open and he's going to the cross and he, like Peter, hoping he's going to come back? 
Was Jesus hoping for a John chapter 22 conversation with Judas when he's restored by the lakeside? That never happened because Judas closed the door. And I just think of how would Acts be different? How would the apostles be different? How would the story of the mission of Jesus be different if Judas would have come back and would have taken this grace like Peter did? Friends, I don't know where you're at this morning. But I want to encourage us. We've got to love truth. We've got to love it. But we've also got to love and take God's grace that there is this beautiful story that's waiting to be written on the other side of it. And I don't know if, if you're feeling afraid, if you're feeling alone, unknown. Jeff, do you know how long it's been since I've been honest? Jeff, do you know how long it's been since someone really knew me? Well, I want to encourage us. Jesus always has known the real you. Always. And at his table and in here, there's always a place for all of us to receive the truth and the grace we need to be free and to make it all the way to heaven together. I hope this has been an encouragement. I'm going to encourage the, speakers, the singers to come on up. We'll have one more song before we close our service.